So, um, am I on? Yeah. If you didn't get the app, uh, I have a bigger one. I was going to try to put it on the screen, but it looks like uh, I'm going to have a hard time doing that. But it looks like this. Woo! And um, it's really cool. Check it out. Um, right on the top, you can see everything that we do, what's happening, and all the ministries. And uh, if you click the more section or you click here, um, you can get our news feed, which puts all the stuff right on there on your news feed. Uh, sermons. Oh, this is, should be your favorite. All the sermons you want to listen to your pastor over. Last week's The Magic Kingdom is right there. You can download it, play it off your phones on your way to work. Um, and uh, if you are cooler than that, um, there is an Instagram feed here. <laughs> there's, all, there's a blog. There's a blog. Um, and uh, Saray just did our first blog. She's talking about spiritual gifts and her experience. You got to read that stuff. So get the app. I texted some of y'all, so I expect you guys to just, you just click on the link, and it'll be a Tidely app, but it's the Bonita Avenue Church app. And then you can be up to date with everything that's happening, and you can know in an instant. Plus, it's got this feature that I want you to try to do today. Um, where to go? Beep, beep, beep. It's got a Bible app right built in. So here's why you're going to need it. Uh, you're going to click the Bible link, and then you can read in the dark. See? Because I know I've been telling you to grab a Bible, and you guys are like, I can't read it. It's too dark in here. But with the screen, you can read it. So you, don't, you may not have a Bible app already on your phone, but if you get our church app, there's a Bible app built in. So open it up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It is March, March the 2nd, and we are beginning a brand new series here on our campus after today, you can catch up on all the episodes online through our app, okay? And uh, if you're still looking at me like, what are you talking about? So apps are these things that you get on your phone. They're like mini programs uh, <laughs> where everything happens. And so we have one for Benita, and uh, we, we're excited to, that you get it, and you'll be up to date, and you can uh, make use of all the functions. I'm going to read good old paper here, but um, I invite you to open up your apps to the Book of Matthew, chapter 5. So we're beginning a new series here called Your Kingdom Come. And if you were with us uh, for the, since the beginning of the year, or maybe even since December, uh, we're going to connect the dots with all the things that we've been talking about. And over the last several weeks, we've been covering or uncovering the book of Daniel. Say amen if you're here during our Daniel series. Say amen. Okay. So if you were here two weeks ago, you got that fill-in-the-blank sheet that either you loved because you're that kind of a student or you hate it because you're that kind of student. <laughs> so there was two different kinds of people here that day two weeks ago when we had that fill in the blank. There was those people that came to me after church and like, oh, that was awesome. I fill in the blank. I follow right along. And there was the other ones who were like, happy Sabbath. And they walked away because they just don't like filling in stuff. But what I want to do is I want to connect the dots with what we did all through the book of Daniel and what God is going to do here in the New Testament. So Daniel represents ancient history, biblical Old Testament history. And through the book of Daniel, God gives us, God gives us insight into the future. In fact, Daniel calls it in his revelation, uh, the time of the end, time of the wrath, the distant future, distant future. And he unpacks through visions these prophecies that point us to the distant future. But as we discussed and as we read and as you filled out, the Bible makes it clear that we are currently living in that distant future. We are currently living in the time post the 2300 days. And so we have to uncover, or I should say, rediscover why we exist at this present time. 
And so what I want to do today is I want to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you were here during that time, you filled out the sheet. Does anybody remember what was at the core, at the center of, 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 of the sheet? Anybody? No one. That's great. That's fantastic. I'm not, my evaluation of the teacher is going to be like a zero. Uh, <clears throat> or maybe it's just you're not accustomed to remembering anything that you hear in a sermon. I get it. It's fine. Maybe we'll do it this way. So in that sheet two weeks ago, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about four different chapters in the book of Daniel, prophetic chapters, all right? You might remember them. In chapter two, we covered the prophecy of the great statue. Do you remember the great statue? Yes, if you did, say amen. amen. All right, fantastic. Turn to the person next to you and say, I remember. Yeah, if you don't remember it, you're lying. But uh, you tell them, you're not lying to me, you're lying to them, okay? I remember. Okay, so in the prophecy of the statue, we obviously had the head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly of bronze, and the thighs and legs of Yeah, there we go. Okay, and we discovered how in, in discussing these, the angel reveals, uh, Daniel reveals, that all these things represent what? Kingdoms. It's about Kingdoms, that's right. And the last thing in the prophecy is this rock cut out of the mountain without human hands, a divine rock that represents what? The everlasting kingdom, the last kingdom. Remember the, 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 at the end of Daniel chapter 2, this rock comes, destroys the statue, and it sets up itself up as the everlasting kingdom. In chapter, <clears throat> in chapter uh, 8, we talked about the rams and the goats, animals. You remember the rams, the goat? I saw you guys in little pictures. And what do they represent? Kingdoms, right. And at the end of that prophecy, uh, at the end of Daniel chapter 8, that prophecy, that's where we discover that in 2300 days and the sanctuary shall be cleansed. And we find after the sanctuary being cleansed that the kingdom is given, the everlasting kingdom is given to the saints. So what is chapter 8? What are the animals all about? Kingdoms, yeah. And then in chapter 7, this time it's about beasts. You remember? There's the bear on one side. You guys remember that bear on one side, the leopard with four wings, and then the big beast? Arr. No? Nobody? Okay. The big beast with the iron teeth that Chucky drew for us. And what do they represent? It should be obvious by now. All of those visions have to do with kingdoms. And in chapter 9, in chapter 9, we discovered the 70-week prophecy. You remember we studied this back in December where in Daniel chapter 9, God gives us the first messianic time prophecy. When he says, in the middle of the 69th or the 70th week, the anointed one shall come. You remember, we talked about this all. The Magi, the first Adventists who awaited the arrival of, uh, of Jesus. That's why they showed up in Jerusalem and they said, where's the one born king of the Jews? Thank you. Where's the one born king of the Jews? So in Daniel chapter 9, it's about kingdoms. So all the book of Daniel reveals to us that God knows there are kingdoms rising out of the earth. But there is one kingdom that is different from all the others. This kingdom is ushered in by the arrival of the anointed one. And it is fulfilled and completed when that rock comes and displaces all kingdoms before. So are you following me? We're talking kingdoms. So what we know from the Old Testament from when we read that is that God understands how the world is working, how the, earth, the world is run by kings and kingdoms, and that his intent is to reclaim his throne, reclaim his throne upon the earth by setting up a new kingdom. But what we discovered right in the middle of Daniel in regards to all these prophecies is that it does not end with Jesus at the cross. In fact, it only begins there. 
And it ends, it ends after all the history, after the 2300 days, after the times, times, and a half of times, after all those things, when the everlasting kingdom is put in place. We read this in Daniel chapter 7 and 8. And the kingdom is not left to another people, but it's, it's given to the saints. The thing is, though, right in between that, and this is where you and I are currently living, we're living post-2300 days. I showed you guys that in our in little handout. Post-1844 and prior to the everlasting kingdom. So in this window of time, which Daniel says the distant future, also known as the time of wrath, there's something that is taking place. And in the Old Testament, we find there, specifically in Daniel 8 and chapter 7, that the kingdom that is about to come is precipitated, is brought about by a judgment. A judgment. A judgment. I'm just going to keep repeating. Uh, in fact, I need you to understand this. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's about a judgment. It's a judgment. A judgment. So the Old Testament tells us that there has to be judgment before, before the everlasting kingdom. Say amen if you agree. Now, if you don't agree, I, I challenge you to read Daniel all over again. Go get that hand out and look at it. You will see, because we've gone over it for months now, there's a judgment. But that's the Old Testament. Now we're going to look at the New Testament and see that God in both of his testaments, in the revelations of his character and will, he's saying the same thing. Matthew chapter 5. If you're there, say praise the Lord. Okay. Now when I said Matthew chapter 5, you should have been like, oh, I know this one, right? Should have been familiar to you. You're like, oh, I've been there before. It's, it's a famous discourse uh, called the Sermon on the, Sermon on the Mount. That's right. It's very well known. Uh, a lot of the passages that, that Jesus speaks right here um, transcend even religious uh, circles. They're, they're in, you know, into the popular, uh, into the, uh, popular cultural realms. But what we find there in, in Matthew chapter 5 is that Jesus makes his first move, his first big statements as the anointed one. As the anointed one. In fact, <clears throat> we discuss that the 70 weeks prophecy is fulfilled when Jesus is anointed. Remember we read that in the middle of the 70th week, right? At the beginning of the 70th week, Jesus is anointed. And he, how is he anointed? The form of the dove descends after he rises from the waters of baptism. And the heaven speaks and it says, My son in whom I am well pleased. You remember that, right? So, so that's the beginning. We mark that, uh, we mark that in the spring of um, 31 A.D., uh, I mean, sorry, 27, the fall of 27 AD. There you go. And, um, and Jesus then begins what we, what we call as his public ministry. He steps into his identity and to his role. And, and the book of Matthew summarizes this movement by first describing his baptism and then describing what Jesus begins to do. It's, it's, it's actually just a few verses before chapter 5. So if you're there and um, if you have it on your apps, on your phones or wherever, chapter 4, uh, look at verse 17. This is what it says. And then from that time, Jesus began to preach these things. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand in some of your verses. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. So Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, begins to establish the arrival of a new kingdom. Because it's all about... Thank you. Somebody's paying attention. Somebody in the corner over here is paying attention. It's all about... Kingdoms, the Old Testament, Daniel, and Revelation is about kingdoms. 
and kings, kings and kingdoms. And here Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, says, repent, for a new kingdom is close by. This you will know, as Pastor Kayla so eloquently put it, it wasn't a magic kingdom, although after last Saturday's service, I'm not sure if we were the only ones talking about Disney World, maybe you were too, uh, making plans. Uh, it's not a magic kingdom, but it's different kingdom. As Jesus goes on to explain, this is how he begins, but for the rest of his public ministry, he's three and a half years in ministry, he talks repeatedly about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, used simultaneously in the, in the Gospels. And he explains, every parable that he gives usually is the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he begins to explain what this new kingdom is about because it's different. It's not buildings, it's not geopolitical, it is spiritual in nature. And its boundaries and its markers are not set up by, by physical barriers, but by hearts and minds of people. So the territory of this new kingdom is you and me. It's people. It is you yourselves, as Pastor Kayla read last week. But here at the very beginning, Jesus begins to outline the principles of this kingdom. And you've, you've heard this, I'm sure, many times you've read, uh, beginning in chapter 5. Jesus sits, verse 2, he says, Blessed are the Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he begins, right at the beginning of his very first public discourse, his very first speech, he begins to say the kingdom of heaven is made up of these kind of people. This is, this is the markers. This is the citizenship of this new kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The rest of the Beatitudes, some of you probably remember memorizing for grade school or, or academy time. But Jesus begins to outline here some of the main principles of what citizenship in this new kingdom are. And what you notice right from the very beginning, and what's, what's disturbing to the people listening to, it has nothing to do with your birthplace. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has nothing to do with your biological heritage. Now, I understand we live in San Diego. We are a very multicultural uh, kind of community. But for them, in that moment, it was earth-shattering. Because all of their identity was built on this fact that they were literal descendants of God's chosen people. Do you understand? And although, in some ways, that sounds like a foreign concept to us, this issue of race, ethnicity, and where you're from still has such a stranglehold on our identities today. Ethnocentrism, racial tension, what you're entitled to, depending on where you're born, citizenship is still at the center of human conflict. I read this week about India and Pakistan who are launching airstrikes against each other. Uh, you know, they're bitter enemies, even though, literally, they are the same people. English just drew a line in the sand. Okay, you guys are there, and you guys are there. A and then, descendants of, and, but, you know, we have families in our own community whose grandparents were split down the middle. Some ended up on this side of the fence, but now they are divided, opposed, and in conflict. And Jesus steps into this 
kind of mindset, and we read from Daniel, that every kingdom was displaced by another kingdom that would trample it. Remember that's what happened with the ram, the goats, the beast? It was trampling. It was a destruction of one over the other, a, a subduing, a defeating, a destroying, an eliminating. But Jesus enters, and he creates a different kind of kingdom. And he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about is somehow now open to anyone, irrespective of your race. Somebody should say amen about that. It is irrespective of your socioeconomic class. Amen. It is irrespective of your heritage. It is irrespective of what family you came from. Because a lot of us struggle with that, right? Listen, listen, let's get real. We're like, it's just how I was raised. But Jesus says, ah, this new kingdom, none of that matters. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which is something that begins and ends with you. Jesus is laying down a new kind of kingdom. And obviously, for those of us that have read the Sermon on the Mount, it's fantastic. It's what was revolutionary at the time and continues to be revolutionary now because here in our own community, anybody's welcome. Of people from all nations, tongues, and tribes are welcome here. From every background, from every situation, we are welcome. And in this place, we find a new citizenship, a new bond that makes us part of the same family. And Jesus is ushering this in, and he calls it the kingdom of heaven. For them, for us, this is great news. Because um, before this point, we were not allowed, technically, the people who were recipients of the promise would not allow us in. That's why the Jews held it so closely and so tightly. And although God had always meant to bless others, they misappropriated that and reserved the blessing for themselves. But Jesus comes to break that wide open. It's a different kind of kingdom. This kingdom of heaven is a different kind of kingdom. But what's fascinating is that it begins right here. You see that? In fact, theologians believe this, the Seventh-day Adventist commentary believes that this sermon is, is, is more like an inauguration speech. It's more like a, a coronation moment. Jesus comes upon the earth, and as he steps into his identity, the anointed takes his place as the deliverer and the king. And this speech lays out the terms of his kingdom. It's his enthroning moment. That's what we sing. I love the song we're learning this month. Jesus Christ, our king enthroned. He's, he's coming to his throne. But what's fascinating about this kingdom is, is that it doesn't, it can't, it chooses not to overrun by force or power or simple authority. It's a kingdom based on meekness and gentleness and sacrifice. Totally different. In fact, it's so different, the theologians call it the kingdom of grace. The kingdom of grace. Remember we read in Ephesians, we were dead in our transgressions. What's the transgression? An aggression that doesn't cross the line. We were dead, but God who is rich in mercy has given us a new chance. The kingdom of grace. That's why in Hebrews Paul says, so let us approach the throne of grace. And if there's a throne of grace, it means there's a kingdom of grace to which that throne belongs. Yes? You follow me? There's this throne of grace that belongs to the kingdom of grace. So theologians say what Jesus is talking about right here, the kingdom of heaven, and as he describes all the parables, the ones we read last week, um, all the parables, this kingdom of, is, this, is, is this kingdom of grace. 
where people are invited to. And yet, there's another kingdom that's on its way. See, for the moment, we are living in a time of the kingdom of grace. But it's not going to last forever. That you sort of instinctively knew. But there's another kingdom that's on its, on its way. In fact, Jesus refers to it. I want you to flip from where you are right there and go to Matthew 25. Or your smartphones, just click and go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Jesus speaks. Now we are at the end of his ministry. So at the beginning of his ministry, he says, Blessed is the kingdom. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. He opens the doors wide and invites people of all, of all uh, walks of life in. But at the end here in chapter 25, as Jesus is preparing to give his life and complete his journey on earth, as he's, as he's preparing to give his sacrifice, and then he knows he's going to be going off to heaven, he lays out the coming, the distant future, and he says there's another kingdom coming. Look at this, chapter 25, verse uh, 31. Okay, 25, 31, are you there? Say amen if you are. All right, here we go. <clears throat> and when the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, by the way, in your version it might be read. When the Son of Man, capital S, capital M, which refers to himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This is a different kingdom. Theologians will call this the kingdom of glory. There is a kingdom of grace ushered in at the time that Jesus first advent. But there is a kingdom of glory ushered in at the time of Jesus' second advent. When a son of man comes in his glory. Because we know that the first time Jesus did not come in his glory, right? How did he come? In shame. In a stable surrounded by animals. Wrapped in some burlap. He comes unbeknownst, unheralded except to those few who are expecting him and those who are humble enough to receive him. He does not come in his glory. But in this verse, Jesus says, and if you read all of 25, Jesus is warning us, telling us, foreshadowing, and he says, because there will come a time when the Son of Man will come in his, what's the word? Glory. Look, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he will sit in his throne in heavenly glory. But look at what happens here. Read it with me, please. Verse, 31, verse 32. And all the nations, that's all peoples, will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You see what's different here in this kingdom of glory? That's so vastly different from the kingdom of grace. No one? The beginning in this kingdom of grace, Jesus is opening the doors wider. Blessed are those. He says, blessed are you. He opens it. It's invitation. But in the kingdom of glory, he comes to hand out a decision, a sentencing. In fact, when he comes in his glory, he says, all the people will gather and he will separate. In the kingdom of grace, he is joining. He's bringing people together. But in the kingdom of glory, he is separating some to the right, some to the left. I don't know if that troubles you or worries you, but it should. And Jesus makes it very clear that these two are different. Kingdom of grace is inclusive. The kingdom of glory 
is not. Yes, you follow me? The kingdom of glory, somewhere on the left, people are separated. The shepherd gathers and he separates. And I want you to read what happens to those that he separates. And it will be very familiar to you. This is what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It's all about kingdoms. Kingdoms and kings. Come, you who are blessed by my father, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. You know this, right? You've heard this before. He turns to them and he says, come, receive this inheritance prepared for you. God had this plan from the beginning in his eternal cosmic knowledge. He had this plan. He was working it out. But the people were involved in the working it out. Because he turns to the others. Oh, before that, the righteous say, well, Lord, I, I, I don't, we don't remember that. When do we see you or feed you or, or, and give you something to drink? And Jesus responds, but you and I already know. The king replies, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, it's as if you did it for me or to me. And then the king turns to those on his left and he says, get away from me. You are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and thirsty, and sick, and you did nothing. And they will in turn say, we don't remember that. When? And Jesus says, when you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. So what I want you to realize here is that most people think, when, it, when, when they think about our, our kingdoms and the last rock, the last kingdom, uh, most people think that essentially this judging will take place at the second coming. But if you read what I just read to you, you recognize that in the New Testament, that is not what Jesus is teaching. Because at the time of his arrival in glory, judgment has already been passed. Because when Jesus speaks to those he, that, that he is separating, he speaks in the past tense. Did you notice that? He says, you to the left, you on the right. And when they say, why? Jesus speaks past tense. Son of man says, because I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. Past tense. You know what that means? It means that before his second coming, a judgment is taking place. But most of us have sort of like uh, caught up in Christianity, this idea that essentially we will all be judged at the second coming. But that's just not true. Or this would be inaccurate by the Son of Man himself. You following me? Is this bothering you? It should. You know why? Because it means that somewhere along the line before his arrival, what you do gets judged. Uh-oh. Somehow before the second coming, your account is being given. What you do or do not do is being measured. In Christianity, in Protestant Christianity, especially here in North America, we've been caught up in this cycle. And I've been trying to break it down for us and give us an understanding of why we are different and why we have a voice and a message for the world. And here's why. Because for the last, uh, for the last 60 years, uh, Maybe, maybe 50 years, as Protestant Christianity has grown in North America, we have fixated on the message of the cross, which is 
the culmination of Christ's sacrifice and the vindication of his kingdom of grace. But somehow we have gotten stuck there and believe that basically at the cross it all ends. In fact, some of them apply everything that we've been reading in Daniel to the cross and say, that, well, it's all done, completed there. And so in, in, in modern Christianity here in Southern California, we've, people have come to believe, and maybe you're in this boat too, that essentially at the cross everything is done. And yes, it's true, Jesus dies once and for all to forgive your sins, but somehow you believe that somehow because of that, what you do no longer matters. Like it was all taken care of. That's the end of the story. But it's just not the truth. Because Jesus says, there's another kingdom coming. See, the act of the cross is not the end of God's dealing with humanity. It's in the middle the, the, the cross allows God and us to be reconciled. But now that we're reconciled, he still has work to do. And you can see it right here from Jesus' own mouth that his work is in transforming who we are as a people. That's why if you flip back to our verse of the day, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, after Jesus has given his discourse, he teaches us to pray this way. You will recognize this. You can follow along with me if you like. Then Jesus said, when you pray, pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. Okay, how many of you guys memorized this? No one? Okay, we've got a few hands. All right. You had to memorize it. And if you memorized it when you were young, you probably developed the rhythm for it. Did you memorize it in the King James or the NIV? Had to be King James, right? So, so repeat up. Go, let's go. Let's do it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You have to say hallowed because otherwise it doesn't count. Hallowed be thy name, right? There's a sing-song to it, right? We were laughing this morning because it's the same thing in, in Spanish. Come on, you guys. Los que hablan español, a ver. Padre nuestro. Yeah, yeah. And you notice the rhythm, right? Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. Right? You, you, hallowed be thy name. We memorize this because it's a fantastic prayer, but, but, but it's lost its power to inspire us. We just rotely repeat it. In fact, we don't even do it anymore. It's so old. At the time Jesus utters this prayer, though, what he's doing is cutting through all the nonsense of what they believe, and he's saying this is the connection that God is trying to reestablish. So let's, let's break it down for just a second. Jesus says, our Father, our Father, not God, Yahweh, or this distant person, but Father, the one who knows me, the one who birthed me, my own dad. Hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name. We're going to get to that next week. But he says this, your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. He uses that word kingdom twice. What kingdom do you think he's talking about? Because I just got done explaining to you there's two kingdoms at play here. The kingdom of Christ, which he's just ushered in. Now the door's open to all the Gentiles. And the kingdom of glory that is coming at the point of after judgment. What kingdom is he talking about? Well, this is the debate, right? But if you read it in the original language, it's a, it, it's a word that 
expresses present and future anticipation. So it's not simply your kingdom come, the kingdom of grace, because Jesus already ushered that in. No, it's your kingdom, your eternal rule and reign, where everything goes according to what you say. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just the way it is done everywhere else in the cosmic dominion of your majesty. And when you pray that prayer, what you're doing is you are making a declaration of intention. You're saying, I want to be in that kingdom where his will is done here on earth. See, when, when, when I was taught to pray this prayer, it was more like a, um, how, do I, how do I put this? Well, I guess a Hail Mary. It, it was a prayer that essentially said, oh God, I hope your kingdom, I hope you do something about it. May your kingdom come, your will be done. Something that was separate from me. Our Father which art in heaven, please have your way with these people. Right? Oh God, please do something about these people. Or, oh God, may you finally solve all these problems. And, and, but what it actually is, Jesus is inviting us to identify with this kingdom as agents of the kingdom. So how will God's will be done on earth? By whom? Who else except the citizens of the kingdom? See? Because in the other kingdoms of Daniel, the will of the king was done by force. Right? The crushing, the trampling by force. But in this kingdom, no such thing takes place. So the only way the will of the king can be done on this earth is if the members of the kingdom choose to act out the will of the king. You know what that means? That means that when you pray this prayer, your kingdom come, you're actually making a vow that you will do the will of the king. It's not a prayer that God does something about other people. It's a prayer that says, I commit to let God change my will so I'm doing the will of the Father. Your will be done on my earth, in my earth, as your will is done all over heaven. And this kingdom is both the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory. It all has to do with the judgment that precipitates the closure of one and the beginning of the other. Listen, friends, there's a reason we exist. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and join me on the stage. There's a reason we exist at this time in history. And it wasn't just so that we'd be weird and invent Vegilinks and, uh, you know, uh, that, that wasn't the, the end of our identity. That's not the only reason Adventism was called to existence by God. It's not the only reason 20 million people across the globe are worshiping this very same day all over. The reason has to do with what I'm just describing. This kingdom, God, by Jesus' own words, God wanted to set up into play here on earth. It is not a distant reality. It is a present reality. And it has everything to do with how his judgment is currently taking place. You see, after 1844, the Bible tells us the sanctuary is being cleansed. And what is that? It is an expression and definition of judgment. 
That's right, it's judgment. It's not going to happen when he comes. It's going to happen before he comes. Because when he comes, he says, behold, I come and my reward is with me. That's a sentencing. That's not a hearing. It's not a debate. That's taking place right now. Jesus has already gone into the holy place. He's been already uh, interceding in our behalf. But what's about to take place, what is currently taking place, is the final judgment. The only thing left will be sentencing. And we are part of that final judgment. We're not just insignificant in the earth's history. Absolutely not. There's a purpose and a reason. And unless you capture that, and unless you know it clearly, you are just wasting your time here. And you are making a fool of yourself. We are making the fools of each other. And you know who's laughing at us? Our kids. Our teens. They're saying they don't even know why they do what they do. It doesn't make any sense. And as soon as they hit high school, college, what do they do? They disappear. You see what I mean? If we're just doing the motions, but we don't understand What's at stake and why are we doing it? It's called hypocrisy. It's a facade. And it's pointless. It doesn't have to be. Because there is a purpose and a reason for everything that God gave us specifically. There's a reason for every gift, every unique identity marker of our story. And it can be the most liberating and energizing part of your Christian walk. The kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory are one, and we are part of them both. In the next three weeks, I'm going to unpack that for you. We begin at the place where it all is, the sanctuary. The sanctuary. So I challenge you to come back, bring your friends. Hey, and if you fell asleep right now, just get our app, and you can listen to it on your way home. All right? You pick it up right there. Read the Bible, friends. Matthew chapter 25. That's the time that we're in. Matthew chapter 25. But for now, let us praise God together. Would you stand and sing with us?